So I hope you had a, a good weekend so far. Um, we had a busy weekend uh, or busy Saturday. We had hoops yesterday, and then afterwards we went to uh, a stingrays game with our youth. And um, I always get a little conflicted about going to a stingrays game. Uh, Mr. John Sherman is gracious enough to get us tickets to go, and we always have a great time. But I don't know if you have you ever raise your hand if you've ever been to a, a hockey game. Just a hockey game. I said, a lot of you have been to a hockey game. At least I, I'm in good company here. Uh, but I don't, So when I go to a hockey game, I don't know about you, it's kind of like going to a NASCAR race. You, you're looking for a wreck. You kind of feel bad about that, though. Like You don't want anybody to get hurt, but you kind of want to see a wreck. Um, but I, when I go to a hockey game, I, I feel a little conf- conflicted because I go and I, I'm hoping for a fight. But I don't know if, if that's okay or not. And so that's just a little confession time for me uh, this morning. Uh, so anyway... I had a great time, uh, but Hoops is also an amazing ministry that we have here in our church, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. But what you believe, before we jump into our passage this morning, what you believe affects what you do. Uh, and we, we see that in everyday life. So for me, for example, um, my, my wife gets on me a lot about this, but I hate wasting food. I don't know about you, but I hate this. One of my, I don't know what's, what's in me that has this deep desire like not to waste food, but I, I just can't waste food. And so something will be in the refrigerator, and it, a week will go by, and it still hasn't been eaten, and so I'll eat it. You know why? Because I believe that I won't get sick. Now, right or wrong, our beliefs affect what we do. So if we believe wrongly, and uh, granted, I will probably end up sick one day because I've eaten something I shouldn't have eaten. All right, so I understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with living with that. But our beliefs affect what we do, right? On a daily basis, what we truly believe affects what we do. So here we see in Romans chapter 12, so that's where we'll be this morning, uh, and we'll start off in verse, uh, verse 1 in Romans chapter 12, and he says, therefore, but before we can even move any further than that, we have to stop and pause uh, and ask Paul, why did you just say therefore? And we can't just move on from there. Uh, we, ha- we need to know what he was saying therefore, because he was saying, in light of what I just told you, now this. And so Paul, he goes from the theological, uh, the beliefs, to the practical, to how we daily live our life. And so that's so important for us to understand is that what we believe will work itself out in our actions. And so let's move back into chapter 11 and read the verses that I read earlier. And starting in verse 33, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both the, the wisdom and knowledge of God. The depth of the riches of God. That he is unsearchable. How unsearchable his judgment and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid? The answer to those questions is none. None of us have been able to give to God. He's the creator. And then he goes on for. From him and through him and to him all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And he said, because of our knowledge of who God is, it will dramatically affect our daily life. So we know what is the theological, what is the beliefs that that Paul is trying to uh, get over to the the Romans here. And we see that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. That we can't reach the end of God. 
His judgment is true and it is final. That he is transcendent. He is above us. He is holy. He is creator of all. He alone is to be worshipped. And he alone is to be praised. Because from him, through him, and to him, all glory. So here Paul starts with the theological. What do you believe about God? And some of you have been in church a long time. You, you've grown up. You've heard about God. And it may be something you can answer if, you had a, if we had a quiz. And I passed out some papers this morning. And I asked, is God all-knowing? You could check yes. And if I ask you a bunch of questions about who God is, and you may be able to answer all the questions. But what do you believe? Because our belief is going to dramatically affect how we live our life. And here is where Paul transitions into that. He goes into verse, uh, verse one, chap- or verse one of chapter twelve. It says, "Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God." We have to go back up to that first part of verse 1. It says, by the mercies of God. It is by God's mercies that we have life. And it, it, it goes back to what do you believe about God? Do you believe he's been merciful to you? Because I, when I was studying thinking through this, how has God been merciful to me? Well, first off, he has shown his great mercy by me being saved. I've done nothing to deserve salvation. I'm a wretched sinner, as Paul describes himself, that I am least uh, among the people. And so why should I be saved? Why should he shower his mercies on me? And he urges them. He pleads with them. And that's kind of where I'm coming to you this morning, is I plead to you to examine what do you truly believe about God? Because what you truly believe about God will dramatically change how you interact with people. It will dramatically change how you uh, deal with situations in life. What do you believe about God? See, in this first part, he calls us, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice that we are no longer our own, that we give ourselves over. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. I love here that it, it presents it as a sacrifice. And this reckons back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they would present an animal to be sacrificed for their sin, and that animal would be killed. That it would be dead. It would be a dead sacrifice. And that wasn't lasting, right? That had to happen over and over again. But with Christ, he is the living sacrifice. He rose from the grave. He's the one that he, he brings us from death to life. This morning in our early service, we had a young man uh, uh, get baptized this morning. And it's this beautiful picture of dying to ourselves, being raised to walk in a new life. That's the imagery of becoming a, a follower of Christ. Is that we were dead. And now we're alive. We're this living sacrifice. And even here, this is it's still a little bit theoretical. It's still a little bit theological. All right. So how do we live that out? How do we how do we how do we become a living sacrifice? What does that look like? What does that mean for you and I today? Paul doesn't leave us 
without an answer. God doesn't leave us without an answer. And so we're to be this living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual worship. In verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this age. What does it mean to not be conformed to this age? This means as believers, we're not to think like our non-Christian friends. That as believers, we are set apart. We're different. That we act different in, in, in certain situations than our non-Christian friends. That we think differently about people than our non-Christian friends. That we don't conform to the age that as our culture has changed, right? Our culture has changed over the years. Just since I was in high school, things have dramatically changed in our culture, in the schools. But th does that mean that changes what we believe? Does that mean that changes our doctrine, our the theology of who God is? No, God is unchanging. So no matter what changes in culture, we do not conform to the culture. We, f we conform to God. Do not be conformed to the, this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. We are a transformed people with a renewed mind. And this, this process, it's not just a one-time deal. This process is a lifelong journey that you're on. If you're a believer in Christ, it's not just that when I was a little boy, when I was a little girl, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and then that was it. No, you're a living sacrifice. You're growing in that. That we are growing to be more and more like Him. This transformation, this renewing of your mind, the renewing is a daily process. How do we do that? We think about the mercies that he's displayed us. It goes back to, who do you believe God is? Who do you believe he is? And so, uh, number one is we are called to be a living sacrifice. And that's really the main point of this, mor this morning. If you get nothing else this morning, that's what I got for you this morning, is that we're called to be a living sacrifice now, we're going to look and break that down a little bit. Paul does that where he breaks it down a little bit. What, that, what, what does that mean? How do we live that out? So we have this theological idea of, all right, I'm supposed to be a living sacrifice. All right, I know that truth. Now, how do I live that out? What does that mean when I go back to work tomorrow or when I interact with my friends tomorrow or what I'm doing tomorrow? How does that change anything? How does it change when I walk out of here to be a living sacrifice? What does that look like? Our first point there is that we serve one another, that we serve one another. Uh, verses 3 through 8 says this, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You see the oneness there? That as believers, we're not just independent. It's not this great American idea where we're supposed to be independent of ourselves, that we're, we are self-satisfying, that nothing can control us, that uh, it, it's all about me and I. And with Scripture, it's the exact opposite, that we're dependent upon one another. That we love one another. That we, we serve one another. And we continue and it says in verse 6, According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standards of one's faith. If service, in serve. 
if teaching in teaching, if exhorting in exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So we're to serve one another. That when you became a Christian, it wasn't now they will serve me. When you become a member of the church, when you become a part of the body, it's not just now I become a part of this, this country club and what benefits do they have? How will they serve me? No, it's the exact opposite of how has God gifted you? And when I was thinking through this and praying, uh, what are some examples? It, one of the things that came to mind is I love teaching. I love preaching. It's one of the things that God has given me a passion for and continue to develop and grow in. But there's one thing, well, not just one thing, many things that I'm not so good at. And one of those is administration. I'm not very administrative minded, but there's a a, a lady that is. Her name is Michelle Futrell. If you've been a part of our hoops program, you know who Michelle is. You may have gotten an email from her or text message. She is awesome at administration. She has done a fantastic job of organizing. We have over 230 kids. If I was in charge of that, that would look chaotic. It would not go well. But God has gifted her in certain ways. What if she said, this is my gift, I'll use it how I want to, I'll use it for my honor. Well, she only used it for her job. She only used it for her promotion. But instead, she's using something that God has gifted her in to promote ministry, to promote the word of God, to serve the body of Christ. So this morning, think about what are you gifted in? How has God gifted you specifically? Because as it said, we don't all have the same parts. We don't all have the same gifts. It says if prophecy, and this prophecy here is not a prophecy of I can tell you the future. but This is a prophecy of preaching the word of God, teaching the word of God. If you serve, and some of you are, are servants at heart. You don't need to be up front at all, but you serve. You'll see something that needs to be done, and you can go and do it and serve. Some are good at teaching. Some are much better than me at teaching, and they're just gifted in that. You're, you're skilled, in, and God has gifted you for that. Some of you are good at ex- exhortation. Or you encourage, you lift up, and it comes because of God's gift. There's people that have the gift of generosity where they're just more generous. That We're all called to give, absolutely, but some are just naturally inclined to do that uh, through the Spirit. Leading, they're... There are some that are just gifted in leading. They can do it well, showing mercy. Where has God gifted you? And are you using those gifts to serve the body? Because when God saves us, when he draws us out of sin and darkness, when he raises us up to a new life, it's not for our own blessing. We are blessed to be able to bless others. Again, it goes back, do you trust God? Do you believe him? Do you believe he's the one that has given you these gifts for not just your purpose, for the purpose of others? I think about the Israelites. And we know them as, when we read Scripture, we read the Bible, the Old Testament, we see that they're very inwardly focused, right? We see how they kind of build, not kind of, but they build walls. And they're very inwardly focused. But when you go back to Genesis and you look at their beginning with Abraham and Isaac, when they were blessed, they were blessed to be a blessing to the nations. It wasn't that they were blessed so that they would look good. They were blessed so that they would bless the nations so that the name of God would be renowned. 
Are you willing to serve one another? Now we have many parts in one body. All parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. Individually members of one another. Do we see this collection of people as believers, as a body, that we depend on one another, that we serve one another? And it leads us to our next point, that we love one another. So we love one another. We look at uh, 9 through 13. Verses 9 through 13 says, Love must be without hypocrisy. Don't be fake. That when we come to church, it's very easy to put on this mask because we're only here for a short period of time. And that's where I would encourage you to get involved with uh, our, our Sunday school or small groups, discipleship, where you're, you're doing life together face to face. But don't be fake. Here, uh, Paul is talk, calling us to genuine love. What does that look like? Genuine love. Verse 9, love must not be without hypocrisy. Detest what is evil. Cling to what is good. Listen to this. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Over and over and on repeat, he's telling the, Roman, the Romans to, to, to hold tight to one another. That our culture is rapidly changing, no matter what the culture is, that we are to hold tight to one another, we just treat to one another with brotherly love and affection. That we forgive those that have hurt us. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not like diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in, in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be, be persistent in prayer. Share with the needs of uh, with, share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. That we are to, to pursue love. Love, genuine love. Genuine love takes effort. Genuine love takes work. If you have children, you, you will understand that genuine love takes effort and work. If you're married, if you have family, that you will all, all of us can understand and relate that genuine love takes work and effort. That no matter if you have children or if you don't have children, if you're married or not married, if you're in a family at all, if you deal with people at all, you will understand that genuine love takes work and effort. That we love one another. That we build relationships with one another. But why? Why do we do that? Why does it say that it, it, it should almost be a competition on how, how we could outdo one another in showing that love? How we could outdo one another in showing honor? In verse, um, uh, verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Uh, right above that in verse 10, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. That this is a, almost a, a competition for them. How can I honor you? How can I respect you? How can I love you? How can I lift you up? And this takes work and effort. Genuine love also shares burdens. We see that in that last verse there, that we share burdens with one another. So how do we, how do we operate as a living sacrifice? What does that look like for you, for me? Is that we serve one another, that we love one another, the next point is be humble. Be humble. Let's look at what he says here in verse 14. 
Starting in verse 14, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is crazy. We'll talk about that in a, in a little bit more uh, detail in the next point. But bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. You see there that we're called to be humble. How are we to be a living sacrifice? We're called to be humble before others. That we are to, to bless those who persecute. That doesn't happen without humility. If we think we are better than others, and that's where it goes back to that beginning of what do you believe about God? Is he the holy one? Is he the all-powerful one? Is he the one that I will submit to? Because that changes everything. It changes our relationships, our daily relationships. I was reading a guy named uh, Charles Spurgeon. I enjoy reading some of his works. And one of the things he, he made a comment here, and he says, uh, when, we, when it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, that when we, when we see that, to weep with those who weep uh, can kind of be uh, easier than to rejoice with those who rejoice. And uh, part of his reasoning is that when someone is weeping or hurting, uh, sometimes it's easy to, to sympathize with them. And some of us can even empathize with them, that we can... We we can hurt with them, that we feel their pain because we know what they've been through. We know what pain is like in this life. And so sometimes it can be very easy to, to weep with those who weep, right? But then the opposite of that, he, he made the comment that the opposite of that, to rejoice the, with those who rejoice can be very difficult at times because our hearts are desperately wicked, as, as Scripture says. Because when we see others being blessed, we all often think, why not me? Well, they're doing good over there. Why, why, why didn't I get that promotion? Why didn't I get that? I deserve that. I've been working hard at this company for years. Why didn't I get that promotion? Why do they get to have children? We've been loving God. We've been serving. Why don't we get to have children? Or why do we end up with this disease or this financial problem why is it happening to me why can't we be like them why are they getting the good things and oftentimes with rejoicing with those who rejoice we have to humble ourselves and say God you know better thank you for blessing them Lord thank you that my my co-worker got a promotion Lord amen I can praise you because he got the promotion and not me can we do that? Because it takes, if we're going to be this living sacrifice as Paul calls us to, then we have to humble ourselves before the Lord. Are we willing to encourage and rejoice with a friend that is being blessed? And sometimes in ministry, we, uh, for me, I, I can sometimes be guilty of, hey, what, what, what do they have going on? Man, man, that guy is a gifted speaker. I listen to uh, a few different preachers, and uh, some of the preachers that I, I love listening to, like Matt Chandler, John Piper, and some others, that I love listening to them preaching. God, why didn't you gift me like them? Why didn't you give me their abilities? But that's where I have to come back and, God, thank you for them. Thank you that they're faithfully preaching the word. Thank you that they're ministering, to the, ministering the gospel to others. Can we rejoice with those who rejoice? Because this takes humility. Are we willing to do that? 
And then in verse, uh, starting in verse 17, and this is where it, Paul really blows it out of the water. He changes the whole paradigm for all of us. Verse uh, 17, it says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath, for it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if, listen to this, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for in doing so you will heap fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. See, our natural inclination is to fight fire with fire, right? We love the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And, and to be honest, that's not really good enough for us, right? Typically, we, we go eye for a head. You know, we we want to up the ante a little bit. You hurt me, I want to hurt you at least two times more, if not better, right? And in fact, uh, this happened this morning. Uh, one child of mine was on the bed. Another child of mine was on the floor. One child hits the other child. I'll try not using too many names because he's in here. Um, but, um, you know, uh, so one was on the bed, the bigger one, if you know, if you know my children. I have a six-year-old and a, a three-year-old. Uh, so anyway, the six-year-old was on the bed, and the three-year-old uh, started hitting him. Now, my three-year-old, if you've seen her or know her, um, She's not that strong. Like, I mean, it's just, it's a little tad, right? Um, but, hey, my six-year-old, he was offended. Like, that hurt his heart. He was greatly wounded by, apparently, by that, that strike. And so, instead of striking her back just like she had struck him, no, it was all like, why ya? Get out of here, you know? But that's our mentality is, you tap me? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick your teeth out. You know, it, it's this mentality of you hit me a little, I'll hit you a lot. But God's called us to com- something completely different. This is why this is earth shattering. This is why this is so difficult. This is why it says in verse, in, in verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because it is only through transformation that any of this happens. That we love one another, that we serve one another, that we're humble. And that last point is give up your rights. Again, this sounds almost anti-American to say this, but we're called as Christians to give up our rights, to be that living sacrifice and say, you hit me, now I'll do good for you. You're my enemy, I'll do good for you. What what does he say here? Going back over to verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. What? God, you can't be serious. If my enemy is hungry, I rejoice, right? I'm happy. My my coworker, he's terrible to me. He talks bad about me. He got me in trouble. He is terrible. He's a terrible human being. He's hungry. Thank God he's hungry. God, you're getting a divine wrath, right? He no. What he calls us to is to love, to feed our enemy. This is crazy. Why would we do this? Because of our belief in God. It goes back to what do you believe about God? 
It says in, in 19, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For his written vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Do we trust God? Do we believe that he is who he says he is? Do we believe he is the one that is deep in riches, that is unsearchable, that his judgment is unsearchable, that his, his ways are untraceable? Do we believe that about God? Because when we believe that about God, it changes everything. Remember, our beliefs, what we believe, affects what we do. So when we have an enemy, when there is someone in our workplace or in our life or in our family, and we feel they're an enemy of mine, instead of trying to get back at them, instead of just even ignoring them. I mean, God, wouldn't it have been easier if God would have placed in here a little a clause for us, a little out for us, if they choose to repent? If they choose to ask for forgiveness from you, then, then feed them. If they, if they repent and turn to me, now feed them. God doesn't give us that out. He doesn't allow us to go there. Instead, he says, you trust me. If you will trust me, it'll work. It'll work out. That we're to feed those that are our enemies. We're to give a drink for someone who is our enemy. Are you willing to do as it said before? It's not the first time he says it. But bless those who curse you. He says, bless those, in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Man, this is difficult. Though what we're talking about this morning is somewhat simple, it is absolutely difficult. I don't want to make light of it. That is extremely difficult to give up our rights. What we feel we are entitled to. We feel like we deserve this. I want to take you back before we end. I want to take you back um, just a few years ago when I was in seventh grade. Uh, um, at least it feels that way to me, right? I mean, uh, it's crazy to think how long ago that actually was. But anyway, so and when I was in seventh grade, there was a, a toy uh, that was... Uh, extremely popular amongst the people I hung out with, at least. Does anybody know, have ever heard of a hacky sack? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of a hacky sack. All right, most of you haven't. All right, good. We're on the same boat. Um, so a hacky sack, ever, anybody heard of a fidget spinner? All right, so that was a craze for a little while. Fidget spinner was this kind of weird thing that you just... And that's it. That's all you do. You spin this little thing. It's weird. But anyway, so a hacky sack in seventh grade, um, I had one. I loved that thing. I mean, it was, it was what I felt like. I was one of the cool kids because all the cool kids had their own hacky sack. And so I felt like I was awesome and cool. And then there's one day that a friend of mine asked to borrow it. And me just being a nice guy, you know, just as I am. Y'all know me. I'm a nice guy. And so I, I let him borrow my hacky sack. And guess what happened? I don't get it back. I've never gotten it back. I still don't have my hacky sack from back in seventh grade. That thing wore on me. And I was, as a seventh grader, I was devastated. This guy who I thought was my friend has just taken away my coolness. You know, I, I thought I was a cool guy in, in, in seventh grade. I just have to confess with you, I wasn't very cool. I wasn't very, I wasn't in the in crowd and that's all I had. And I felt like he took it from me. 
And it meant a lot to me. I, now I look back and think about how foolish I've grown in my wisdom. I've grown in my knowledge of God and who I am. And, and so now I look back and, man, I should have handled that very different, differently. But as a seventh grader, man, I, I, wanted, I wanted to heap the coals on him. I, God, I don't want you to do that. I, I want to do that. I don't want just my hacky sack back. I want five more in return. But guess what? I've learned God has called us to be completely different than that. That he has called us to bless those that curse us. That are we willing to to forgive those that have hurt us, even when they didn't ask for our forgiveness? Are we willing to to give up our rights? And again, I say this in in a knowledge of I still struggle. I still struggle with all of these. There are times when I'm too proud to seek forgiveness. There are times when it is hard to love one another, right? There are times when I am weak and tired and I don't want to serve. But what has God called you to? He's called you and me to be a living sacrifice. We're not dead. As believers in Christ, we've been risen and that we have a new life in us. And it's not because of our own power, but we go back to the mercies of God. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, how are we to do this? Because of the mercies of God. Remember his mercies. If you're a believer, he has forgiven you of your sins when you were undeserving. As a believer, you look back over your life, Lord, you've been merciful in many ways. I get to live in the United States. I get to have clean drinking water. There are many mercies of God that we can point out. Are you willing to be that living sacrifice at home with your family? Are you willing to be the living sacrifice at work with your coworkers? Are you willing to be that living sacrifice here in the church when it can be sometimes the most difficult? Right? Amen? Anybody? Amen? So this morning, how is God working in your heart? As we uh, close in prayer, my, my hope and prayer for you this morning is not that you've heard me, but the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. That God is working in your heart and calling you to, to love Him in a way that is beyond your control that you understand theologically who he is because then that works out practically in your daily life. We're going to have some music at this time, and uh, I'm just going to ask you to, to sit and, uh, and pray. The, the piano and organ will be playing some music. But as we enter into a time of prayer, allow God to work on your heart. Allow him to speak to you. And then be transformed by the renewing of your mind this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and I'll close this in a bit. Lord, I thank you for your word. You're an amazing God. Lord, let us marvel at who you are. Let us understand what you have done and who you are. You alone are worthy to be worshipped. You alone are worthy to be praised. And Father, I pray that we would do that this morning. 
Father, in light of who you are, you have called us to be a living sacrifice. We are no longer dead, but we've been raised to walk in a new life, to be that living sacrifice, to be able to bless others. Father, your word is not easy. It's not easy to serve one another. It's not easy to love one another. It's not easy to be humble. It's not easy to give up our rights. But Lord, it is worth it. It is worth it to follow you. It is worth it to be obedient to what you have called us to. It is worth it to understand what Paul has said this morning and be able to submit to your word. Father, I pray that we would love genuinely. We would show family affection to one another and brotherly love. Lord, that we would make it a competition on how much we could honor each other. Lord, that we would outdo one another in showing honor. Father, you're an amazing God. Let us live out your word, no matter how difficult, no matter how much our, our own pride gets in the way. Father, we, Lord, we, we, we push that away. We uh, repent of that pride, and we pursue you in humility. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.